and now, fathers and sons. Chapter 1 Well, Piotr, not in sight yet? Was the question asked on May the 20th, 1859, by a gentleman of a little over forty, in a dusty coat and checked trousers, who came out without his hat onto the low steps of the posting station at S. He was addressing his servant, a chubby young fellow with whitish down on his chin and little lackluster eyes. The servant, in whom everything, the turquoise ring in his ear, the streaky hair plastered with grease, and the civility of his movements, indicated a man of the new improved generation, glanced with an air of indulgence along the road and made answer. No, sir, not in sight. Not in sight? repeated his master. No, sir, responded the man a second time. His master sighed and sat down on a little bench. We will introduce him to the reader while he sits, his feet tucked under him, gazing thoughtfully round. His name was Nikolai Petrovich Kirsanov. He had, twelve miles from the posting station, a fine property of two hundred souls, or, as he expressed it, since he had arranged the division of his land with the peasants and started a farm of nearly five thousand acres. His father, a general in the army, who served in 1812, a coarse, half-educated but not ill-natured man, a typical Russian, had been in harness all his life, first in command of a brigade and then of a division, and lived constantly in the provinces where, by virtue of his rank, he played a fairly important part. Nikolai Petrovich was born in the south of Russia, like his elder brother, Pavel, of whom more hereafter. He was educated at home till he was fourteen, surrounded by cheap tutors, free and easy but toadying adjutants, and all the usual regimental and staff set. His mother, one of the Kolyazin family, as a girl called Agat, but as a general's wife, Agatoklea Kuzminishna Kirsanov, was one of those military ladies who take their full share of the duties and dignities of office. She wore gorgeous caps and rustling silk dresses. In church she was the first to advance to the cross. She talked a great deal in a loud voice let her children kiss her hand in the morning, and gave them her blessing at night. In fact, she got everything out of life she could. Nikolai Petrovich, as a general's son, though so far from being distinguished by courage that he even deserved to be called a coward, was intended, like his brother Pavel, to enter the army. But he broke his leg on the very day when the news of his commission came, and, after being two months in bed, retained a slight limp to the end of his days. His father gave him up as a bad job and let him go into the civil service. He took him to Petersburg as soon as he was eighteen and placed him in the university. His brother happened about the same time to be made an officer in the guards. 
the young men started living together in one set of rooms under the remote supervision of a cousin on their mother's side, Ilya Kolyazin, an official of high rank. Their father returned to his division and his wife, and only rarely sent his sons large sheets of grey paper scrawled over in a bold, clerkly hand. At the bottom of these sheets stood in letters, enclosed carefully in scrollwork, the words, Pyotr Kirsanov, General Major. In 1835, Nikolai Petrovich left the university, a graduate, and in the same year General Kirsanov was put on the retired list after an unsuccessful review and came to Petersburg with his wife to live. He was about to take a house in the Tavrichesky Gardens and had joined the English club, but he died suddenly of an apoplectic fit. Anatoklia Kuzminishna soon followed him. She couldn't accustom herself to a dull life in the capital. She was consumed by the ennui of existence away from the regiment. Meanwhile, Nikolai Petrovich had already, in his parents' lifetime, and to their no slight chagrin, had time to fall in love with the daughter of his landlord, a petty official, Propelovyansky. She was pretty, and as it is called, an advanced girl. She used to read the serious articles in the science column of the journals. He married her as soon as the term of mourning was over, and leaving the civil service in which his father had by favor procured him a post, was perfectly blissful with his Masha, first in a country villa near the Lesny Institute, afterwards in town in a pretty little flat with a clean staircase and a drafty drawing-room, and then in the country, where he settled finally, and where in a short time a son, Arkady, was born to him. The young couple lived very happily and peacefully. They were scarcely ever apart. They read together, sang and played duets together on the piano. She tended her flowers and looked after the poultry yard. He sometimes went hunting and busied himself with the estate, while Arkady grew and grew in the same happy and peaceful way. Ten years passed, like a dream. In 1847, Kirsanov's wife died. He almost succumbed to this blow. In a few weeks his hair was grey. He was getting ready to go abroad, if possible to distract his mind, but then came the year 1848. He returned unwillingly to the country, and, after a rather prolonged period of inactivity, began to take an interest in improvements in the management of his land. In 1855 he brought his son to the university. He spent three winters with him in Petersburg, hardly going out anywhere and trying to make acquaintance with Arkady's young companions. The last winter he hadn't been able to go, and here we have seen him in the May of 1859, already quite grey, stoutish and rather bent, waiting for his son who had just taken his degree, as once he had taken it himself. The servant, from a feeling of propriety, and perhaps also not anxious to remain under the master's eye, had gone to the gate and was smoking a pipe. Nikolai Petrovich bent his head and began staring at the crumbling steps. A big mottled fowl walked sedately towards him, treading firmly with its great yellow legs. 
A muddy cat gave him an unfriendly look, twisting herself coyly round the railing. The sun was scorching. From the half-dark passage of the posting station came an odor of hot rye bread. Nikolai Petrovitch fell to dreaming. My son, a graduate, Arkasha. Were the ideas that continually came around again and again in his head. He tried to think of something else, and again the same thoughts returned. He remembered his dead wife. She didn't live to see it, he murmured sadly. A plump, dark blue pigeon flew into the road and hurriedly went to drink in a puddle near the well. Nikolai Petrovitch began looking at it, but his ear had already caught the sound of approaching wheels. It sounds as if they're coming, sir, announced the servant, popping in from the gateway. Nikolai Petrovitch jumped up and bent his eyes on the road. A carriage appeared with three posting horses harnessed abreast. In the carriage, he caught a glimpse of the blue band of a student's cap, the familiar outline of a dear face. Arkasha! Arkasha! cried Kirsanov, and he ran, waving his hands. A few instants later, his lips were pressed to the beardless, dusty, sunburnt cheek of the youthful graduate. Chapter 2 let me shake myself first, Daddy, said Arkady, in a voice tired from traveling, but boyish and clear as a bell, as he gaily responded to his father's caresses. I'm covering you with dust. Never mind, never mind, repeated Nikolai Petrovitch, smiling tenderly, and twice he struck the collar of his son's cloak and his own greatcoat with his hand. Let me have a look at you, let me have a look at you, he added, moving back.